0: Verse 14, these are the words of Dasan and Aviram. And here we have yet again an Aliyah section that begins in the middle of a monologue. We had it in last week's Parsha. We have it again here where there's a break right in the middle of somebody talking. Very interesting phenomenon. So what did did Dasan and Aviram say? Dasan and Aviram, a little bit of background. These are the ones who are joining Korach And with this mutiny against Moses, and we'll see this is not just about Aaron, the high priest, but this is about Moshe himself. This is really rebellion on the authority of Moses. And Dustin and Aviram, we also know from the past, they were troublemakers from the beginning, and they are arguing with Moses. And they say, You have not brought us to a land of milk and honey, nor have you given us the inheritance of a field and a vineyard. Right? It's, again, if this is right after the story of the spies, and of course there's, there's gonna be debate about when exactly this story happened, the story of Korach, but the simple way of looking at it, it comes after the story of the spies, so it happened after the story of the spies. So they're saying, we're stuck here in the desert, you're not bringing us to the land of milk and honey, and giving us that inheritance of the field in the vineyard. And then they say something that is a little bit cryptic. They say, even if you gouge out the eyes of those men, we will not go up. This is how Rashi interprets, what is this gouging out of whose men? What eyes are being gouged out of air? So Rashi, the way Rashi explains it is that they were saying to Moshe, even if you threaten to send messengers to go and gouge out our eyes, we're still not going to go up. Even under such a threat, we will still not go up to you because he was calling them and saying, you know, let's meet, let's talk. He said, we're still not going to go up. We are adamant in our position. The Sephardim, which is another one of the commentators, on the, one of the classic commentators on the Torah, says that they were saying something else. They were saying it was a question. Do you think you can blind us to what's happening over here? We see what's going on. We see what's happening. Let's look at Rashi. I'm sorry, let to back up a little. Um, you told us back in Exodus, I'm going to take you up from the from the po- oppression and poverty of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. You took us out of that land, but you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. Rather, you decreed death upon us. For you said, in last week's Parsha, after the story of the spies, bamid bar hazeh yiplu In this desert, your corpses shall fall. So clearly, Rashi is learning that the story of Korah happens after the story of the spies. El um, and Naviram, of course, conveniently forget that there's a reason why They were told that their their corpses would fall, but they conveniently forget that, and they're angry at Moses. What does it mean? Will the eyes of these people you will gouge out. Who are these people? Says Rashi, even if you're going to send a messenger to poke out our eyes, if we don't come to you, we're still not going to go up then, why did they say the eyes of those men? If they're talking about themselves, why didn't they say, even if you gouge out our eyes, why did they say those men? Rashi says, It's like a person who attributes his own curse to his fellow. It's a way of speaking that when a person says something negative, a curse doesn't say it about himself. He says those people, but really he's talking about himself. We have this in other places in the Torah already in Rashi. Now, according to Sephardim, which I quoted that, he's talking that, that they meant something entirely different, which is, you know, you think you can blind us to what's going on over here. It's, it's, it's to me, more understood what they're saying. But if, um, according to Rashi, our research department would have to look into what, what is the meaning of these words um, if you will blind us? So how did blinding them come in to the uh, story here? I think that's a good question for us to look into. Verse 15 Vayichar Moshe, you think Vayichar means got angry. That's what it typically means in the Torah. But if you look in English, they follow Rashi, which is he became very distressed. So Rashi says it's not anger, but Vayichar. Er ad he became very distressed. And obviously, why is he getting distressed? Because, the, the, because of their, their, their stubbornness he says to God, so Moshe says to God, do not turn to their offering. In other words, he's talking about, we'll see him, Rashi. Let me go on. I have not taken a donkey, even a donkey, from even a single donkey from any of them. Now the word nasati typically means to lift up, Rashi will tell us it means to take, as our translation adds it. I have not harmed a single one of them. And yet, look how they're treating me over here. says Rashi, what does it mean don't turn to their mincha, to their offering? Rashi gives two interpretations. The simple explanation, as we learned yesterday, Rashi tells the people who are challenging him and our offering, saying, go and bring... Tomorrow, go and bring um, the katoris, offer incense, and we'll see the one that God chooses, his incense will be accepted. All the rest of them are going to die. It says Rashi, when Moshe says over here, don't turn to their mincha, what is he referring to? The incense that he talked about yesterday that they're going to bring to you tomorrow, Al a Alam, do not turn to them. Now, this interpretation. You could ask, well, it's it's kind of obvious. Of why would God turn to their offering? I mean, they, these are these are wicked people. Why would God? Why would Moshe even have to say, "Don't turn to their offering"? The way the Rebbe explains it, the way when the Rebbe explains this, Rashi is that that Moshe was saying, not "Don't turn to them." to accept, do not accept their offering, right? So in the translation here, it says, do not accept their offering. If you translate it that way, then we have the question I just asked. But if you interpret it literally, taifen, which means don't turn to their offering, then what it means is, what would happen if God turns to their offering? Well, we know if you bring an offering that's not appropriate, the person dies right away. That's what happened with Nadav and Avihu. Now, if that would happen, Moshe was concerned, then the people would just say, why did these people die? Because they brought an inappropriate offering it wouldn't prove it wouldn't show that their rebellion against motion against Aharon, is the reason that they died and so god says don't turn to them when they offer this offering and punish them immediately because of, because in that case it won't be clear that their sin is not just bringing a foreign incense It won't be clear that their sin is this general rebellion that's how the Rebbe interprets this first interpretation of Rashi. Now Rashi gives a second explanation, which is Midrash. And he says, I know that each and every Jew, including these scoundrels, that's my word, Moshe didn't say that, they have a small, tiny portion in the public communal sacrifices. There sacrifices that are brought every day, in the morning and in the evening. And those are Brought, uh, those are bought and, and paid for with communal funds. So that means each and every karban, each and every sacrifice has a little bit from everybody. So this is what Rashi is saying, that that tiny portion that you, God, you know which portion is theirs, let that portion that belongs to these people, let it not be accepted before you when the offering is brought. Let the fire leave it and not consume it. Those are two interpreters of Rashi, of what does it mean, do not turn to their offering. Does it mean the k'toret that they're going to bring tomorrow, or does it mean the general sacrifices that are brought? Says Rashi on the next one, I did not take even a single donkey from them. Why is he mentioning a donkey of all things? Says Rashi, even when I went, from Midian where I was a shepherd and where I had this whole story with the, with the burning bush and God tells me to go to Egypt. And what is he saying? He's saying, go take the Jewish people out of Egypt. I'm going to need a donkey to get there. Who should pay for that? So Moshe calls his accountant and says, is this a business expense or is it a personal expense? Accountant said, it's a business expense. You're not going to Egypt for yourself. You're going to Egypt to take the Jewish people out of, out of Egypt. So it's a business expense. And what does Moshe do? He says, no, I'm going to pay for the donkey myself. So the Rashi says, even when I went from Midian to Mitzrayim and I took my wife and children on the donkey, I should have taken that donkey and it should have been paid for by the Jewish people. I paid for that donkey. So when he says, I didn't take even a single donkey from them, Simple meaning, you would say, I haven't taken anything from them, stolen anything from them, I didn't take any payment from them. Rashi says, he's referring to something specific. Even that donkey that they should have paid for, I paid for that one. I carried it, maybe you could say, I carried the cost. Targumink onkelos, the Aramaic interpretation is, Shecharis expropriated, in Aramaic, the king's servant is called Shecharis. Verse 16, Moshe says to Koirach, You and your entire assembly, you shall come before the Lord. You and them, the Aaron and Mocher, as well as Aharon tomorrow. Here, Rashi Torah is in motion, introducing that Aaron is also going to be present. He's also going to go through this test. Verse 17, and what's going to happen? Each of you will take a pan, and you'll put upon it incense, and you're going to offer it in front of God. Each man his pan, 50 and 200. So that's 250 pans. They're translating it here as censers. And you and Aharon, in addition to the 250, each one is going to take his pan. Meshach comments, Rabbi Indvinsk, or Sameach, he says that Aaron was to take his own pan, not the one that had already been used in the past. He didn't want to, Moshe didn't want, the people to have any excuse to say, "Oh, the reason that it worked for Aaron is because he used one that was already sanctified." No, he went and brought his own. Each took his own, just like everybody else. Each person took his his pan by eating mesh, and they put upon them fire, and they put upon them kitaris incense, and they stood at the entrance of the ol moed. And Moshe and Aharon were there as well. Now Koirach Rashi gathers assembles. All of the people against them. Literally upon them, but in this context against them. Korach assembles all the congregation against them, against Moshe and Aaron, at the entrance of the Moed, and God's glory is revealed to the people. Now when, when exactly does this happen, that Korach assembles all the congregation against them? Rashi gives us the story behind the story. How did A Korach gathered the people against Moses with words of mockery. What did he say? That night, he went to the tribes, all the other tribes, and he enticed them, saying, "Do you think that it's just about me that I'm worried?" I am representing all of you. I'm worried about all of you. Look at these two. These two are coming and taking all of the high positions. is taking kingship, and his brother is taking the priesthood. Until he managed to convince all of them. And what happens is, the glory of the Lord appeared, he came in a pillar of cloud. We've seen in the past how is Hashem's presence felt—the pillar of cloud—and usually this is, as we've seen in the past, uh, divine judgment. Um, I want to conclude. This was a um, this was a pretty rather um, concise portion, but I want to just conclude with with an idea is. But here you have the Jewish people have just gone through the story with the spies and everything that they've gone through and still they're able to be enticed by Korah's words. It's just an incredible lesson in the fact that even when everything is so clear, even when God's presence is so clear, the Yetzirah is a part of us that is susceptible to being convinced and biased, so biased, that is willing to hear these types of arguments and how careful we have to be to always remember the truth and not be seduced even by the most convincing arguments, even by Korach, who obviously was quite brilliant in his ability to turn the people away from Moses and how vigilant we have to be to stay on track. So that is the portion for today. And Tomorrow we'll continue with Aliyah 3.